Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Arianish Birdie. Arianish is the founder and executive director of Encompass, a nonprofit working to make the animal protection movement more racially diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Prior to Encompass, Arianish spent seven years at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, promoting alternatives to animal tests. I really enjoyed not only talking to Arianish about all the things she's accomplished, but just the mindset she has and the way she sees the world is really inspiring. Enjoy! Well, thank you again for joining me this morning. I'm really excited to connect. Me as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And that comes from this place of me kind of being on this journey of like, wow, I'm, I'm with it. I'm together. And then also knowing like some days there, you're just clueless and you have no idea what's going on and everything in between. Um, so I like starting with asking guests kind of where are you at right now in this moment from conscious to clueless? Hmm. Where are you feeling? That's a great question. Um, I'm probably pretty solidly in between. I think I feel, um, I feel a little bit of both in different respects, personally and professionally. I'm feeling good. I'm also feeling, um, I need to do more to take care of myself and be more Mm. well rested. And I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Um, I, so it's like, Mm. I know I'm conscious that I need to, and I don't know with what res- you know what what logistical changes in my life I can make that a reality so feeling kind of in between there yeah I totally get that there's this moment I feel like sometimes when you're getting to kind of almost like that breaking point where you're like I know something has to yes. happen like maybe that's just a good first step to know that something yes. has to change exactly exactly So I connected with you or I was connected with you um, because of your work with Encompass. Can you tell me a little bit about that organization and your history with that? Yeah, so I founded Encompass back in 2017. Um, I've been an animal advocate since 1997, working on all different animal issues um, from circuses, fur farms, zoos, puppy mills, animals and experimentation, pretty much any way in which animals are used and abused in society. I've worked um, to eliminate that or create better conditions at the very least. Um, Wow. And throughout that whole journey, I've always been one of the very few women of color, people of color in the room when animals were being discussed. And intuitively, I always Mm -hmm. knew that there was a missed opportunity there, but I didn't fully know how to articulate that. Um, And so, you know, just as I got older and I had more conversations and I read more and I ended up going to a very um, progressive liberal arts college, Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, I learned more about how interconnected systems of oppression are, how interconnected our liberations Mm -hmm. are. And, with that understanding, I started to realize maybe there is a way to have a more concrete conversation about these topics, especially 
racial justice, racial equity in the context of animal liberation, which is really what we're fighting for. Um, and so, yeah, I started to think through what, would, what it would look like to make specific actionable changes for the animal movement, for the animal protection movement. And with that came mm -hmm. the birth of this organization. And um, it's been a really fun, wild ride. So we work to support people of the global majority, which is the term we use instead of people of color to be more globally inclusive, since that people of color is a US centric term. Um, yeah. And so we work to support ourselves, this community um, individually by creating, we have a caucus where people come together to um, build community, to build resiliency, to build our leadership mm. skills. And I, we also work to support white organizations and white individuals in um, better understanding and articulating how they are very integral to our, um, you know, to eliminating racism and um, the, the right. role that, that they play in that. So we kind of take a dual approach and it's been, yeah, it's been a really fun last few years. Very exhausting, but very fun. Yeah, I will totally admit that, you know, I of course do some research on people before I interview them. I did not realize you founded the dang organization. Yeah. I think that it's so um, beautiful. And of course, this is like compressing, I'm sure, all of the work that went into it. But it's beautiful that you saw a missing link. So you created it. Yeah. Which is that's incredible. That's what I really was trying. Um, so I worked at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, um, which is oh, okay. a plant. They promote plant-based um nutrition diets supporting doctors in their journey. And they mm -hmm. also work to fight animal experimentation. And I worked on the animal experimentation side and I was a lobbyist there for them working on a bill that would, that um, regulated industrial chemicals. So that's chemicals in paint and in wood varnish and carpets, pretty much everything we use has been tested on animals or um, yeah. has ingredients that have been. And um, so there was a big effort in Congress to reform the way those chemicals are regulated. And in okay. that process, a lot of, there was a recommendation to test a lot of chemicals on animals. And so we were trying to promote human relevant alternatives to the use of live animals for those tests. And we were successful and I was actually invited by President Obama's White House to watch him sign that bill into law. It was in 2016. Oh my gosh. And um, after that, I felt like, I think I've done what I came to this organization to do. And mm. now I think I need to find the next step for me. And I wanted to do something that no one else was doing as if I didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. I was trying to find those gaps yeah. in the case. And so, um, yeah, this thing had, that had been in the back of my mind around feeling alone and that lack of belonging in the animal movement that just kept really speaking very loudly. And so I knew I had to listen to that and ended up, yeah, creating an organization. I also think it's pretty amazing 
to be at a place where, you know, you're working for this amazing organization, you're doing good work, you're kind of able to see the fruits of your labor, and yet you still realized when it was your time to move on. You're like, okay, this moment is complete. My work here is complete. What's next? I think that it's, it can be tricky to listen to that and to recognize those moments. Very much so. Yeah. It was very difficult to leave. I had an amazing boss. I really liked my coworkers. Mm. My benefits were amazing. My salary was amazing. It was like, Mm -hmm. It was not that I was leaving because I was unhappy. It was just that I felt mm-hmm. like I had to do something else. Um, and that was very difficult. And I was really yeah. only able to do it because I had extremely low rent. I was in a rent stabilized apartment. I had savings that I knew I could rely on. I had a partner who was very supportive. I had pretty much all the conditions right for me to take that big risk. I never mm-hmm. fundraised a single dollar before I had started. Oh, wow. Um, so I was, it was a lot of just leap of faith and listening to my intuition. And um, yeah, <laughs> it was, it, I'm very lucky, very privileged. And yeah, it, it all has been a very intense wild ride. Is that something that you've always been skilled at? That kind of like ability to listen to your intuition or is it something you've cultivated over time? Both. I think um, I'm grateful to be someone, my parents were, are um, very, my parents were born and raised in Pakistan um, Mm -hmm. and moved to the U.S. in 1985 when they were in their mid-20s. And, um, I don't know how to articulate it. They were very connected to their, they are very connected to their own roots. Um, they don't ascribe as much to the like hyper Western beliefs of like what you see is real um, and I guess my, especially my dad is, he's just been very interested in like Sufi principles and, um, yoga and Buddhism. And so a lot of that has kind of been instilled in me. And I very much believe mm-hmm. that, um, mother universe is real and um to listen to like know that I have wisdom inside me and to listen to it and to not Mm. override that with rational thoughts at all times and there is a balance of course um and then also through that I've also worked to better cultivate that and to better understand that my gut is speaking to me and that there is something in there. And so, yeah, all of that kind of very much lives on in me today. It's amazing how much can come from teaching people young to just trust themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's also, you know, really how I came to care so much about animals. I think most children Mm. really do. And it's something that's taught out of us that, you know, oh, well, you do have to eat animals and you do just have to accept that animals are used in this way. And um, I think at an early age, if we were able to teach children, no, you're right, animals do deserve love and they can feel pain Mm -hmm. and joy. 
we would live in a very different world. <laughs> Absolutely. So where does your vegan story begin? It really begins back in 1997. Um, I was presented with the frog dissection project in the seventh grade. And oh, no. um, <laughs> oh, no. my mom was very opposed to it. Um, mm -hmm. And it was really her fighting my biology teacher and just the school that I was mostly very curious by her objection. Mm -hmm. um, she learned about, um, I guess I could go back even further. My parents really fell in love in Pakistan taking care of the stray dogs um, who lived on the streets there. It's very, oh. stray dogs on the streets is very common. Mm -hmm. And they both just very much loved animals, um, primarily dogs. And they wanted to go vegetarian. It's a very meat centric um, culture and they weren't able to. So they thought, okay, when we come to the US it'll be a little easier. Hmm. And um, my mom had some coworkers who were like, no, you can't do it. You can't raise a child that way. She'll have brain defects and just oh, like all the health stuff. Like she mm -hmm. will be malnourished and blah, blah, blah. And um, this was in the US, your mom had those Yeah, this was in the US. Okay. Yeah, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Kansas. So this okay. is where all of that, those conversations were happening. And um, so my mom was like, okay, I guess I shouldn't do that. Um, but we never bought products tested on animals, like household products or cosmetics. So there was mm. some little awareness there. And so when this came about, my mom was like, there's literally no reason seventh graders should be cutting open once living creatures. There's, there's no value to that exercise yeah and so mainly because I was curious by her objection I started to get more information from some of the big animal organizations like PETA and the Humane Society in the United States and even PCRM the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and so once I started getting information on that I was just like oh my goodness how like how is all this happening behind closed doors I, I yeah. love animals mm -hmm. I had two dogs who I would have done almost anything for mm -hmm. who I would have done almost anything for and so um once I got information on the dissection I started getting you know things in the mail about like I said circuses and zoos and factory farms and it just was, once I saw those images, I was just like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. The these are the most, most vulnerable creatures. They are used and abused in such high number. Uh, how can I do anything but fight for them? So um, yeah, once I, once I learned about that, I started going, I went vegetarian and then I went vegan. And, and this is um, still in middle school? Yeah, middle school okay. and um, in Kansas. And it's just been pretty much like a very singular focus for me. Um, of course, bringing in how, how all, all of us are in, complicit, but also um, integral in these institutions. You know, right. factory farming doesn't happen in a silo. It happens because there's all, you know, so many layers of, of harm that happen from mm -hmm. workers, and the environment. And so, um, yeah, it's all very interconnected. Yeah. And, you know, I have hearing that story of your mom 
and wanting to kind of be vegetarian and thinking about raising her child vegetarian. And I have compassion for her, not only, you know, as an immigrant and trying to navigate that, that in and of itself, but also just of that generation, I think there were, was a lot of shame for anybody who wanted to kind of step away from the Western diet. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine raising a kid and having someone tell you, well, if you don't do this, your kid's going to have brain damage. And then thinking that that's real and, and worrying about that and not having the information. And, you know, I think there's, um, I think there's a disconnect sometimes in my experience because generations above me, it seems sometimes there's like this, um, shame like, I wish I would have known, but it's like, I'm not, I'm not passing judgment that you and myself and everybody else have been cogs in the machine. Right. That, you know, like that is not a judgment, but okay, now we have new information. Now right. what can we do? Right. Exactly. That's, that's a hard line to toe when you're telling people everything you've known for the last 50 years of your life has been bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything about food and farming and everything you knew is, is kind of a lie. Um, yeah. That's a hard place to be. It rocked my world. Yeah. But it's interesting that yeah. you came to it so young. I think that, that that gives you a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that. And my parents were always so supportive. They are now vegetarian. My sister is vegan. Um, it's very, and and it's really just something we talk about all the time. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, yeah, I'm very lucky and also just very close with them. So it's, it's nice. I love that. So this organization Encompass, what kind of work, I mean, you explained kind of, you know, what the mission is, what kind of work does that translate to? What events, what community stuff, like what are you doing to um, create this world of this intersectionality? I'm talking about people of color within the animal rights movement and all that. Like what does that look like for Encompass? Yeah, great question. So um, we have two ways that we um, work. So within the caucus, I'll start there, the caucus, which is the um, global majority caucus for people who identify as being part of the global majority. We have a few different programs. We have a community, um, we have community building opportunities where quarterly we get together and really just share where we're at in a space that's Mm. only made up of people who are like us. And it's honestly, every single time it's, a very healing space for a lot of people just to have just to have that space and be heard and to feel less alone yeah it's really powerful um we can really in a way just have a, a, a pause and reclaim parts of ourselves that have been repressed or just mm. support one another and embracing you know who we really are and it's it's just a really special space um we also have a talent database, which um, is open to people of the global majority to get more connected to opportunities that they may not, or that we may not be well aware of. So professional opportunities like jobs, 
Um, Also speaking opportunities, um, like being speaking at conferences or podcasts, um, board positions. It's really a way for us to try to make the connections because a lot of what we see in almost all spaces is you really have to know someone to get into a position. But what happens when we're all siloed? You know, there isn't that ability to even just know about opportunities. So we're trying to serve as an intermediary and make that bridge. And we also are currently running an executive cohort for people of the global majority who are more advanced in their careers Hmm. or who have started a nonprofit or trying to start a project get um, the unique skills that they need to advance their cause. So we have, we're running a four month segment on that right now. It's actually gonna be wrapping up in June, 2021. Um, And it's culminating with a pitch day where we're connecting anyone who's interested um, with funders who can, they can make their pitch to their organization so they can get access to funding. So in the cohort, we're talking about fundraising, um, fundraising challenges, coaching, um, the ABCs of nonprofit, just pretty much everything that it takes to run something. Um, That sounds amazing. Like what a, what a resource. Yeah, it's been, and then we're also trying to connect, you know, we're trying to build that knowledge base so that people know, okay, I can go to someone else. I don't have to come to Encompass because we don't want to be everyone us. We want to also say, um, you, you know, X person at one organization, you have a lot of skills that Y person at a budding organization has, you two should connect with one another and share those skills and resources. So, um, yeah, it's been a really great way. We have a Slack community so people can stay connected and speak to one another directly. Um, it's been it's been really fun and I'm really excited to see how that can continues to flourish after the, the session itself ends. Is this just for people from Maryland or is this national or international? It's national, national. Yes, okay. everything we do is national and actually some of what we do is international, but for sure nationally. Okay. Yeah. And then um, on the other side, we are um, kind of a consultancy for organizations um, that allows us to reach um, white run and leg groups with some more depth. And so um, we also, uh, so we do the consulting work to helping organizations better understand what their unique needs are, help them identify. We have an assessment where we say, we go through kind of all the levels of the organization and say, these are the things that you can improve on. These are the things that are you're doing well. Um, here's what our recommendations are. We also offer um, trainings once or twice a year. We actually just finished one last week. Um, that's kind of a racial equity 101. Um, okay. And then we also have a 201 for people who've gone through the, the beginner's course to advance those principles and have actionable Um, plans that they can take to their organizations to implement racial equity concepts. And then we are also doing um, movement right wide research right now where we're looking at the state of the animal protection movement, the farm animal protection movement, and um, where we are right now so that we can benchmark over the course of time and see if we're making advancements. So right now we've actually um, brought on a really awesome equity, racial equity firm, the equity-based dialogues for inclusion. 
Okay. And they're doing surveys and research, uh, focus groups and interviews with a number of um, organizations and individuals in the movement so that we can better understand um, what the state of diversity and equity is in our movement right now. So when you say movement, animal rights movement. Um, so this, right now we're primarily focusing in on the farmed animal protection movement. So Got people it. who are working to impact farmed animal uh, animals. Um, that's really where we're starting because we're so small and we just want to stay honed in. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as we grow, I'm, things I'm sure will continue to change. So when you have organizations that come to you for guidance or consulting, and if you said this already, forgive me, but are there organizations that are coming to you that have maybe nothing to do with animal rights and they're just like looking to you as a source for information about equity and diversity, or are they specifically all organizations within the animal rights field, plus they're looking for kind of equity and diversity um, consulting or all over the place? It's more of the latter. It's more okay. primarily animal groups. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you were doing any work for just like nonprofits in general or. No, we're really focusing in on the animals in the okay. animal space. Okay. Farm animal space. Got it. But like you said, as you advance, there'll probably be more, more things that continue to be kind of tagged on. Right. And we have done some work with animal groups that don't have that, but, um, it's prime, that's our primary kind of bread and butter. And that is just kind of like to start somewhere, like you've got to start yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that's really where I have most connections. Got it. I think it's important to kind of start honed in so that you're not over committing yourself. We're so small that even with what we're doing now, we're completely stretched thin. So I think it's important to do something you know, really well and be specialized in it. And so I want to just take what I, bite off what I can chew, you know, and. No, um, totally. I think I could learn, I could learn from you because I am most often to keep with the analogy, <laughs> taking too many bites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things I cannot chew and making too many promises. So I think that that's really beautiful to like know that. Yeah. And then, like I said, I feel like we are overcommitted still, um, <laughs> but we do need to have a focus, I think. So since you, um, I think we've established you have this good sense of um, intuition and kind of checking in with yourself, is this something now that you've started your organization where you're like, yeah, this is, this is it, like this is what I'm going to be doing for a while, or do you see kind of growth or change happening soon? Um. I think it's really important in general for founders to not stay at organizations too long or just executive directors in general. Interesting. Um, I think it's really important to hand entities over so that we can build more leaders. Mm -hmm. um, I think that when people stay at organizations too long, it just, it stifles things. It stifles the ability for others to lead. It stifles um, the potential creativity, you know, there's so many different opinions and viewpoints yeah. that can be brought in. And when only one person is at the top, it doesn't, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, we're still 
you know, we're going to be four years old this year. So I'm not fully ready to make that transition, but I think at some point, I don't think that I'll be an encompass my entire career right? Um, or at least maybe I'll come back at some point. I don't have any timeline, but I think in general, founder syndrome is a very real thing. And I think people should be kind of cognizant of terming themselves out at some point, whatever that is. Um, I would only do it when the organization is really, you know, solid and I feel like there is, um, you know, it's a right, the right time, not to say that you should just do it haphazardly because you set a certain deadline and you just want to do it <laughs> by that. But um, yeah, I, I really do love what I'm doing. I don't know what I might do next. Right. It's been a really interesting process to just learn myself what, mm. you know, I'm doing so many different things that it's been really interesting just to learn about myself in that way. Um, so yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't have any plans to leave, but I don't, I won't be here forever. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that's really interesting. And again, just speaks to the level of self-awareness you have talking about founder syndrome, because that is a real, that is a real thing, you know, <laughs> like people have yeah. been running organizations for 20, 30 years or, um, who have started organizations or whatever it is. And I can't imagine being in that position, figuring out when that time is right to go, but just the fact that you're kind of cognizant of it and thinking of it, I think is really, um, shows that you are committed to the work more than your ego. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is I a think hard place to be sometimes. It is. It is. It's really, it is easy to like fall into that ego trap. And I think, especially in the animal movement, we've seen a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I really want to be conscious not to replicate some of those dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like within the last four years of your working with Encompass, or actually probably for however many years you've been working in the animal rights movement kind of in general, do you, have you seen shifts and change in the integration of, um, like you said, the global majority and having those conversations more within the animal rights movement um, and privilege and all that intersecting, intersecting work? Have you seen that kind of come up more or where are we at given your work? Yeah, I, I definitely have seen more and more conversations, especially with the uprising, the racial justice uprising after George mm -hmm. Floyd's murder. Um, I definitely feel optimistic. I see more and more white folks willing to grapple with this um, than ever before, which is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, we have a, we do have a long ways to go. And so I kind of hold both of those at the yes. same time. Yes, absolutely. I have had to leave some of those online vegan spaces um, because they're nasty. <laughs> Because yeah. it just yeah. doesn't feel, you know, because no group of people is perfect. And yeah. because it just doesn't feel right to be in a space where you're arguing with people about equity and trying to kind of play oppression Olympics 
Right. It's really, really odd to me. Um, I guess that's what privilege does. Right. And that's, and I've, I've had to grapple with that and I've had to work through that and I'm still going to, it's not like it's a check off the box. Um, but it is interesting to be so blinded by that and to be in a space or a group or a conversation where you're talking about, you know, freedom for one species and completely want to disregard racial inequity. It's pretty mind boggling. No, completely, completely. I am thankful for um, people like you who are willing to do that work because I know that it's exhausting and it, it, you know, shouldn't always have to be your job. Um, But it is, there's so much to learn and I am so thankful for people like you. Thank you. That's very sweet. Yeah, it's, it is very exhausting. Um, and it, it's not for everyone. And I think there are a right. lot of people who say, I don't want to be your teacher. And that's completely mm-hmm. valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I do think there do need to be some people who are, you know, doing that teaching and I'm right. grateful to be able to have the energy to do that, but while completely knowing that it's not for everyone. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And not to, for pe- for white people, not to have the expectation that every person that's not white is ready to be their teacher, right? Right, right. Um, and, and asking for those resources from people who are in that space to give it to them. Yeah. So if you had someone talk to you that or reach out to the organization or reach out to you or whatever it was that said, I am vegan, I am white, and I had no idea what, what should I look at? What should I read? Where do I learn? Like, where would you point people mm. to kind of start that journey of self-learning? Yeah, we do have um, on our website, we do have a resources guide. So if you go to encompassmovement.org resources, we have kind of collated a starting point. Um, there's many other places one could start, but we have toolkits, articles, videos, podcasts, movies, you know, books, um, mm-hmm. a lot of different things that people can kind of pick and choose where they want to start. Um, and that we do get that, we got that question so often that we decided just to put it on the website. Previously, I had just like a PDF that I would send people. Um, but I think it's, it is important for people to start that journey introspectively, um, kind of give themselves a little bit of a base of knowledge before, you know, just taking it to the next level. Cause so much of this is about unlearning. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out because, and I will check it out myself too, because I think that that's from, um, people of color in my life in just in general with everything going on in the world in the world right now have um, talked to me about not being like the first place you go for information, like right. Google, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. Um, start somewhere. So if there's a place to point people on this subject, I think that's really beautiful to hand them like, okay, we've got this question before. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's really, really great. I can't wait to share that with people and to explore it myself as well. Um, who are kind of people in this movement that have been um, inspirations for you? Or do you feel like you didn't see yourself reflected so you kind of became your own inspiration or maybe a little bit of both? 
Good question. Um, there are many people who I pull inspiration from both in and out of the movement. Mm. Um, I think a big part of the problem for me was that I just didn't see myself or my full complete value system. There were a lot of people who held mm. some values, but then not others. Um, so even with just the creation of Encompass, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to pull the what I view as the best from other spaces. So um, I do a lot of learning from racial equity practitioners in the environmental movement and the racial justice movement, even in the for-profit sector from mm -hmm. the political sector. I'm really trying to learn from many other spaces and bring the best of and just what's applicable to the animal movement. And similarly, in terms of you know people, I feel that way. There are some people who I think do just such amazing work and are totally on point in one way. Maybe they are in other ways. I just don't know. Cause I just don't see that, that writing. Right. So I'm really trying to create an organization that focuses on this intersection of racial equity, racial justice and animal protection. And at the same time, building an organization that values the whole human and um, oh. try to create a good work-life balance and try to recognize that there's emotional labor that goes into this and all the, you know, just all the things. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I haven't seen that in, in totality. I haven't seen an organization that um, really thinks critically about how we work with one right. another and internally in teams and what does pausing mean and what do sabbaticals mean and what mm. does taking time off mean, you know, all of those things. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to create an organization with that intentionality. It's so interesting, or maybe it's not because that's how the universe works, um, but that you brought up the idea of work-life balance because on the podcast, I also do a short solo Sunday episode every week where I just like talk about something on my mind, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And literally yesterday's episode was, is work-life balance even still the goal? Mm. Um, because I've just been thinking a lot about how like the idea of work-life balance, when we say that out loud, is just kind of silly, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's more about integration and daily practice, not like a 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And then you have one day and that's balance or anything right. like that. So I think it's so funny that you brought that up because it's been on my mind a lot that I just am starting to really hate the way we talk about work-life balance in this Western mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't yeah, work for so. me. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. No. And all of these things are social constructs. The five day work because is a social construct mm. that really came out of the labor union movement. Yes. The 40 hour work week. Similarly, it's like we hold on to these things, but we don't really know why we just accept it as what it is. Yeah. Um, and in other cultures, that isn't what it is. Um, and I think that's also kind of rooted in capitalism and the hyper productivity mindset that we have, especially in the U.S. And white supremacy. Um, yeah. Yeah. All of it. So yeah, I'm really trying to kind of be mindful of 
thinking critically about all these things, even the things that we really just take for granted. And um, I know it's not for everyone and it's a really challenging thing because we are still a part of this movement, this society, and we're dependent on donors who are very bought into a lot of these ideals because they have benefited from it, which is why they are donors in the first place. So it's, it's definitely a lot of balancing, but, um, I'm here for challenging it. That's really what I'm trying to do. So, well, it sounds like you are because something else that that sparked in my brain when you said that was I went to this, uh, my full-time job is working for a nonprofit. And so I went to this training about decolonizing nonprofits Hmm. and it was so, so interesting. And what struck me is exactly I think what people in a lot of more progressive movements feel is that you're trying to make change while you're still operating within this system yep and so that conversation was kind of like okay you know you want to push your nonprofit to be different and to not be maybe capitalist or whatever but you still have to compete for donations you still have to show while you're why you are worthwhile you should still have to compete with other places being open a certain amount of hours or whatever it is so it's like how do you simultaneously and this is rhetorical unless you have an answer how do you simultaneously push those boundaries and change the system while still having to operate within the system to get your organization run yep oof yeah (laughs) I don't know if you know of Vule of Nonprofit AF, um, but he is a really amazing um, vegan man of color who lives in the Pacific Northwest. And he writes about this a lot. I highly, highly, highly recommend him. He's really, his um, short um, weekly newsletters that are like less than a five minute read. And they all focus on basically this this very question that you just raised. So he talks a lot about what does it mean to be, you know, a radical liberatory organization working within a inherently problematic system. Yeah. Um, Wow. I can't wait to look him up. Yeah. I just sent you his, his link as well. And I would just, he highly, just highly recommend him. Everything he says, it just feels really on point for me. So, um, recommend your listeners find him out, look him out too. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I feel like we've kind of gone all over in in the best way possible. Those are my favorite interviews. Is there anything that you wanted to share or say, or anything that you feel like you haven't gotten space to share yet? No, I think this has been a really great conversation and just check out Encompass Movement if you're interested in learning more about us. Sure. So why don't you share the places people can get a hold of you if they want to after this interview? Yeah. Um, so you can reach us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook at Encompass MVMT, short for movement. Um, and our website is encompassmovement.org, full, full word spelled out. Awesome. I will put all of that in the notes and included with the resource page and some other fun stuff that you've shared. Great. Well, thank you so, so, so much for joining me this morning. I'm really glad we got to connect. I hope we continue to connect because you are a really lovely human making a huge difference Mm -hmm. in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. I would love to stay connected. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. 
If you want to help me get this into the ears of more listeners, send it to a friend, text it to a family member, or share on social media. Whatever you can do really helps me out. If you want to be read on air as a review of the week, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. If you haven't yet, head over to patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and check out all the amazing things happening over there and the community that is being created. And finally, head to consciouslycarly.com slash courses and hit up that new self-love reset course. Until next time.